find a like-minded colleague that you appreciate and value and trust. And you go to them and you say, let's make a deal. I will make a point of talking you up at this event if you do the same thing for me. And that takes a lot of the pressure off people, especially for those who are a little nervous about self-promotion, because you don't have to worry about self-promotion. You worry about promoting your friend and they're going to do that for you. And it helps both of you stand out more. Welcome to Start the Doubts. I'm your host, Jared Easley. Joining us today from the great state of Illinois, please welcome Jay Austin from JWAustin.com. Hey, Jay. Hey, Jared. How you doing? Awesome, man. Uh, you and I met in Florida not long ago, and our, our guest on the episode today, we met as well. And we're going to get to that here in a minute, but it's just a pleasure to, to have you on the show. And then, of course, joining us from Maui, Hawaii, Aloha, Kamanzi Constable. Aloha, Jared. I'm excited for a couple of reasons. Well, one, Jay is from Illinois, which I didn't know. He's a fellow Midwesterner. I used to live in Wisconsin. So shout out to the Midwesterners. And then secondly, <laughs> because the topic we're going to talk about today, as you know, Jared, I've had some pretty heated discussions on my Facebook wall about. Oh, no, there's going to be some good things. And we're thrilled because the expert to lay you know, the record straight is, of course, Dory Clark. Dory is a contributor to Forbes and Harvard Biz. She's a marketing strategist and speaker, and uh, she is a professor at Duke. Is that correct, Dory? Hopefully I've got that it right. It is. You and, got it. And then, of course, author of great books. Her most recent one is, is Stand Out, and then also the book Reinventing You. Dory, an absolute pleasure. People can learn more about you by going to doryclark.com. Dory, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Great to be talking with you, fellas. All right, Dory. So this is our benchmark on Star of the Doubts. We ask everyone, whether it's Seth Godin, Gary Vaynerchuk, it doesn't matter who it is that comes on this podcast, what is the best concert that you have ever been to? Oh, man. You know, I would say that my favorite concert, my best concert that I've been to is when I was in college, I was an early adopter fan of Ani DeFranco, who uh, is this kind of like folky, punky, rock, acoustic goddess. She's really very cool. And, you know, she got huge. I later saw her play like in Boston Symphony Hall and these really huge venues. But when I was in college, I got to see her in a coffee shop in Charlottesville, Virginia. There's probably about 20 or 30 people in the room. So I got, you know, up close. I got to talk to her afterwards. She autographed my cassette, which was pretty great. So it was good times. <laughs> wow. That is very cool. And you knew her when. Exactly. Right? Jared, she just said she autographed her cassette. <laughs> That's pretty cool. I know what a cassette is. I can relate to that. I don't know. There's, we might have some listeners like, I don't know that word. I got to look that up. Me, Jared. J me. Jay doesn't know what that is. No All idea. Right, so speaking of Jay, Jay has a good story, Dory, of how he first met you at the Heroic Public Speaking Conference. That's Michael Port's event that we recently went to in Fort Lauderdale. So, Jay, before we go in and ask all these great questions of Dory, you got to tell this. Thanks, Jared. You know, for some reason, you have this unbelievable ability to get me to tell many embarrassing stories about myself. This is one of them. Dory, you may remember me as a kid who called you Donnie. <laughs> yes, yes, I, I do. I do. Yes. Right outside the elevators. I yep. was so excited to meet you. And halfway through the conversation, after learning about all of the big things you've done and what you're up to, I say, Donnie, is there any way we can exchange contact info? And you said, yes, but my name is Dory. <laughs> <laughs> and then I blamed it on the font that Michael Port and Amy used on the name tags. It was a tough font. It really was. <laughs> 
Well, Jay, thank you for being humble and admitting that. And yes, <laughs> that is a good story. Jay, will you kick us off and uh, redeem yourself with this content portion of the interview? Oh, redemption so sweet. Dory, we just mentioned that you're an adjunct professor of business administration at Duke University. And you've lectured at so many other top universities like Harvard and Stanford and Wharton and Sloan, and the list goes on and on and on. It's so impressive. And that's probably given you access to some of the top business students in the world. And as a college kid myself, I'm interested in learning your thoughts on how college kids can stand out in the workforce without being seen as entitled or narcissistic. How can they do that? Oh, yeah. Such a good, important question. I love it. So, you know, I I think that one of the most important things when it comes to standing out for people of, of any age is beginning to dive in and create content. And, you know, sometimes I get asked the question, you know, what advice would I give to my younger self? And it actually would be starting to create content online much sooner than I did, because all of the the professional success that I've, I've had in, you know, larger arenas in the past, say, five years has come as a result of the accretion of efforts of putting my ideas out there, which is, you know, one of the premises of, of standout. And, you know, a perfect example is actually a guy that you guys may be familiar with. I'm having dinner with him on Friday, Dan Schaubel, who's a business author. He wrote Me 2.0 and Promote Yourself. And he lives here in, in New York where I do. But, you know, his story was great. He was a, a recent college grad from Bentley, you know, about 10 years ago. And he was working at a large corporation and he literally just got started, you know, writing things. He was really interested in personal branding, started a blog. He started, you know, beginning to uh, first, you know, asking and, and getting permission to do some social media, you know, for the big company that he was working for. And he got noticed and was able to be tapped and get greater and greater levels of responsibility. And, you know, ultimately he became so successful that he went out on his own as a consultant. But he really, because of taking the initiative and being willing to share his ideas in a way that helped other people through online content. It got him promoted and advanced and uh, helped enable him to build a good career for himself. So, Dory, I have, like, so many questions, my head's going to (laughs) explode. Well, you know, I said that there's been a debate that's gone on, and Jared always warns me, he's like, don't post this kind of stuff. I mean, because I've posted this kind of stuff, Dory, and we've been on threads on my Facebook page that were 900 pages with people going back and forth. Yeah. Hey, however, it did kick up my cloud score and they did send me a free printer. So that was was pretty cool. But so the debate started as, is college worth it today? Mm -hmm. And then it kind of evolved to the whole student loan thing. Mark, Cuban came out and said that he thinks student loan uh, situation is a bubble that's going to burst. And then it's, you know, then it goes back to is college worth it? And then college students that are graduating. And I believe the Washington Post estimates that 27 percent of graduates actually get a job in their field. So after all of that, Dory, is there a mismatch in what graduating seniors want and expect and what businesses want and expect from them? Oh, I think there's no question there is a big mismatch. I'm a philosophy major. <laughs> I, uh, I was a liberal, you know, and, and I'm a big fan of the liberal arts. So I want to say that up front. I was a philosophy major as an undergrad. My graduate degree is in theology. 
And both of those were wonderful things to study. I think they made me better thinkers, better writers, more well-rounded and cultured of a person. All that being said, you know, I went to these good private colleges and, you know, I'll lay it on the table. I think it was great that I did that and I would do it again. The reason was because my parents paid for it. If I was 18 years old and, you know, or, or advising someone who was close to me who's 18 years old and they did not have that happening for them, if they were having to take out loans, there is no way in the world, unless literally they went to, you know, a handful of elite schools that could provide them with, uh, you know, world-class connections and opportunities, you know, the sort of Harvards of the world, I would never advise them to take out loans so that you're saddled with $200,000 of debt at age 22. That is a prison. It is far better, you know, I mean, you, you can, the question of whether college in general is, uh, is worth it or not is a slightly different one. But if you're choosing between a middling private school and a state school, by all means, I would say go to the state school, go for the cheaper option because it's really important. If you're not going to college at all, I think that's a totally legitimate option these days. The question is, what are you doing instead? And if you are creating an amazing opportunity for yourself or you're growing as a person and you know starting a business or traveling around the world, great use of your time. The biggest challenge is that many 18-year-olds are not mature enough to create that kind of self-curated experience. Those people probably should be in college because there's at least enough structure that they kind of get forced into doing things that are good for them. But, you know, to the point of like Teal Fellows or, you know, people who really are self-driven, smart, motivated, they don't need college. Wow. And this is, I'm going to be posting this everywhere, by the way. (laughs) So then Dory, do you think with everything that's going on with the student loans, where they are and possibly there could be a bubble, who knows, but do you think the cost of college will continue to increase? Will it stay the same? Will it get lower? I mean, what do you see happening with the cost of college over the next 10 years? Well, you know, I'm fascinated by the question, actually, because one of my personal goals for myself, this is a little bit of a hobby horse that you're <laughs> that you're touching on, because actually my sort of long term life goals for the next 10 years, I want to continue writing business books, speaking and hopefully, you know, becoming more and more of a preeminent business thinker in about 10 years, though, I'm imagining that I'll probably have, uh, you know, maxed out and, uh, you know, made the contribution I want to make and will be looking for the next challenge. And actually, what I would really like to do is to become a college president, because I think that these questions are so interesting. My personal prediction is that we are really going to see a very bifurcated experience where, you know, MOOCs, the, you know, the massive open online courses have tremendous disruptive potential. And they haven't figured it out yet. Of course, people are still experimenting. They're trying to figure out what the model is. You know, a lot of these courses you're not getting credit for, you know, zillions of people drop out of them. So, you know, most people sign up and then, you know, do a a class or two and never finish it. So they've got to figure out how it's going to work. But I actually think that probably what is going to happen is that there is going to be a much smaller, more tightly curated on-campus experience. That is probably going to be a very boutique concierge kind of thing. I think that college enrollment in that capacity is probably going to shrink that colleges will have to, uh, you know, maybe be closing dorms or whatever, because it will get so expensive and so elite that it is going to be a, you know, very sort of small on-campus population. And then you're going to get a much larger share of people who are paying lower rates, who are not living on campus, who are not doing the traditional college experience, 
but are doing the courses themselves in between jobs, in between you know other things that they have going on in their lives. Dory, I want to talk about standing out. You've been a standout for the majority of your life. At 14, you entered the Mary Baldwin College program for the Exceptionally Gifted. And I think at 14, I was scoring for the other team on, in basketball. <laughs> so, <laughs> which, uh, I, I've never said on this podcast, but I actually did that. At 14. <laughs> the point is, is, you seem to just naturally stand out. So what's your thoughts on how much of standing out is natural versus something that is intentionally worked on? Yeah. So, and you know, you guys are so good. So many juicy questions here. So on one hand, you could say, oh, you know, maybe I'm naturally standing out because I, you know, I I was pretty good at school. And so I was able to do this. But there's a lot of ways that people can and do stand out in their own lives. And I I think that, that, you know, we're all distinct, we're all individuals. And the question is, to what extent are we willing to lean in to that individuality and really own it? When I think about my youth and my growing up, the thing that actually is really the most salient experience for me was growing up in a very small town in North Carolina and being gay. And the reason that I wanted to go to college when I was 14, it was not that, you know, oh, I'm so brilliant, I have to get to college right away. It was that I was gay and I didn't want to be in this small town. And so I figured, all right, I'm going to try to find a good way out. And, uh, you know, going to college is a pretty respectable (laughs) alternative compared to, you know, some of the options. And so I just, I worked at it and I, you know, fortunately I I was able to do that. But, you know, I, I think that that's something, you know, when you think about things that are sometimes stigmatized differences, a lot of people try to tamp that down. A lot of people, you know, they spend their whole lives trying to cover up the different ways that they're different. And I think if we really want to be successful as individuals and successful as a society, we need to let people know, you know what, whatever is in your background, you know, whether it's that you're gay or that you're black or that you're a a basketball player or a bad basketball player or, (laughs) 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 or, you know, you, you like to, you know, you're a musician or, you know, whatever it is that is the thing that is different about you, the thing that you're passionate about, the thing that uh, sets you apart. For too long, we've been part of a society that says, oh, actually, you know, really shouldn't talk about that. But in this new standout society, what we need to do if we're really going to claim our full power and our full ability to make an impact is we have to be willing to just own things and say, yeah, that's me. I'm going to rock it. That's wonderful. And what a, a great testimonial to your character, especially at such a young age, for realizing that you wanted to leave that small town to go be yourself. And so, What I'm wondering is, why do people wait to stand out and leverage what makes them unique? Yeah, I think that that a lot of times, particularly when it comes to uh, to some of these concepts about, you know, standing out, you know, making the effort, making the push to try to become a recognized expert in your field. A lot of people actually disqualify themselves from the outset. And, you know, as I was researching standout, I came to realize that for a lot of people, they think that standing out is something that other people can do, not them. They think, oh, I'm, a, I'm an ordinary person. You know, maybe these geniuses out there can do this. I can't do that. And I think that, that it, we really need to reframe that. I need to push back on that because it's too easy to, you know, it's kind of a cop out for people to say that. Because the truth is you do not have to be, in order to benefit from doing this, you do not have to be the world's expert in your given topic or profession or field. It is 
enormously beneficial for any given professional to be a local expert. You know, that could be, you know, literally just within the confines of your company, if you are the most knowledgeable person, that gives you a tremendous amount of cachet and career insurance. In Stand Out, my book, I actually uh, profile a, a guy named Michael Leckie, who works for the research firm Gartner. And uh, he became known in his company as an expert in coaching and training and development. And he told me that when he started out, he was absolutely not an expert in that by any objective measure, but he was interested in it. And so he started learning about it and, you know, sort of studying under some people, reading a lot. He was willing to share what he knew with other people. And before long, people began to say, oh, yeah, Michael knows about that because he knew more than other people. And as a result, he built up this reputation in his company that has served him really well. And I think that any professional can do that. So Dory, I um, am an entrepreneur and college definitely wasn't, wasn't even an option for me, but I do have children. They're 15, 12, and 11. And even though college wasn't for me, I want to give my children that option if they want it and if they have a definite plan. But for the parents out there that are wondering about college, what yes or no for their children, and what are some things that we should think about when deciding to help our children out and to kind of guide them into that path? What are some things about college that we should think about as parents? Well, I think, and you can tell me if I'm approaching this question in the way that, that you're looking for, but I would say that in terms of making a decision about them going to college and, uh, you know, how they can best succeed in it, the first thing is, you know, are they excited about it? Do they actually want to go to college? I think that probably one of the worst things you can do is if you have a kid that does not want to go to college, to sort of force them into it, because frankly, they're going to waste your money. Or if it's not your money, they're going to waste their money. And, you know, they're going to have to spend a lot of time paying it back. I was very eager to go to college. I was, you know, so excited. I mean, A, I was excited to leave my little town, but B, I was excited by college. I would just spend hours before I even got there reading through the course books and just like kind of salivating over all the courses that I could take. I thought it just sounded magical. And so if you get somebody that's really excited about the opportunity, great, let them do it because it is a formative experience. You meet a lot of great people. Your professors are really cool. You learn stuff. If folks want to do it, I recommend it highly. But if you have somebody that is indifferent about it, then they're probably not going to make good use of it. They're, those are going to be the people who are partying or the people who are disengaged. And uh, sometimes they're just not ready. So I, I am a big fan of the gap year concept, you know, taking a year between high school and college, if you do decide to go to college and, uh, you know, traveling or doing some kind of a service project or, you know, some kind of uh, self-directed adventure where you're working on something, even, you know, just doing a, you know, an internship or a couple of internships over the course of a year can be very instructive because you don't have to enter college knowing what you want to do with your life necessarily, but you at least want to have enough structure and motivation to understand a vague direction of what you want to do so that you can make choices responsibly and get the most out of the experience. Perfect. Dory, let's play what if. So you're in a Starbucks, all right? And you look over and you see Jay and Kamanzi hanging out. Yeah. And uh, Kamanzi's having a moment of self-doubt. 
<laughs> Jay's trying to be the encouraging person to Kamanzi. And you hear Jay say the comment to Kamanzi, everything has been done, but never by you. Mm-hmm. What would your thoughts be on that statement? <laughs> yeah, well, I, I like it. I am pro that statement because, uh, you know, I was actually just, just a week or two ago, I was down at a conference and I found myself seated next to this woman who was an academic and, you know, just that, you know, very high level person. She was a dean at a prominent university and, uh, you know, come up through academia. I think that's probably all she'd done professionally. And so that was her framework. And so uh, we began talking about our work and she asked about my book. And so I, I started to talk about it and explain it a little bit. And she sort of, you know, got this puzzled look on her face and she said, you know, and, and so I'm explaining, okay, so, you know, here are this in standout, you know, here's what I propound about, you know, five different ways that experts have been able to come up with breakthrough ideas. And, you know, here's, you know, in this second part, I talk about the three steps that people take to spread breakthrough ideas. And she's like, but do people really not know this? She's like, do people really not know that they should start blogging or have, you know, groups of like mastermind groups? And I'm like, I'm like, no, no, you see, that's not what we're going for. (laughs) If you are in certain genres, if you write business books, if you write diet books, if you write fitness books, the truth is that just about everything you're going to say has been said by someone else. But that doesn't mean it's not new. I am putting things together in a different way. I'm packaging them in a way that hopefully provides a structure that makes a lot of sense for people and helps them understand the world a little bit better. You know, taken on its own, each individual piece is not like, you know, a revelation coming down from Mount Sinai, but hopefully structured together, they make things seem more possible, more doable, more accessible for regular people. And I tell a lot of stories in the book. I, you know, I interviewed more than 50 thought leaders. I used to be a journalist. So I try to you know, tell kind of interesting, in-depth stories, because I want my readers to be able to go through and, you know, I mean, yes, great. Oh, you should blog. Okay. That's nice, but that's not going to do it for people. It's not going to click. But if you can tell them a story about somebody that's kind of like them, that tried and failed and finally succeeded, or, you know, somebody who had an innovative take and was able to do this kind of clever shortcut that really was successful, they're going to read it and remember it and say, oh, you know, I should do that thing that John did, or I should do that thing that Kari did, or I should do that thing that Robbie did. And it's going to stick in a way that it might not otherwise. Just like you might have read, you know, a bunch of diet books before, and you might know that, oh yeah, exercise is good for you. But if you get a book or, you know, a tape or whatever, and and you're able to say, oh, you know, so this is a really cool, uh, you know, workout. I should be, you know, trying this. It gets you interested, it gets you inspired, and that's what gets you results. So does it have to be new in the universe? No, it doesn't. You're writing from your own experience. You're writing for your band of followers. You're writing for the people that are out there who are, you know, because they like you or because they are like you, they can hear the message the way you say it. And that's making a difference. That's great. So Jared, what if Kamanzi and I actually went to Starbucks? Kamanzi, what do you think? Come on, do you say no? Um, well, that'd be cool, but I'd probably ignore you. When I'm at Starbucks, I'm usually writing or um, throwing on the headphones and doing some writing. So I don't know how much we'd be talking. He's trying to help his tribe. Jay. <laughs> I'd ignore you too, Kamanzi. Not really, though. <laughs> wow. What, a, what, a, what an episode of Unity. Oh, All right. Yeah, yeah. We'll talk about it off air. Dory, it is time for a listener question. All right. Yes. This question comes from 
Megan Pangan from the Get in the Lab podcast. Great podcast, by the way, with great video work. She wants to know, how would you stand out on video? Ooh, nice. So this is something that, uh, you know, I would be uh, curious about your thoughts and about Jared's thoughts as well, you know, based on heroic public speaking, the uh, Michael Port event that we went to in February, where one of the things it was talking about was speaking and video and, and all these kinds of things. I mean, in a literal sense on video, you know, this is fresh on my mind because I actually uh, have just been pinged and I'm probably going to get to be on TV this weekend. So that'll be exciting. But, you know, I mean, just some basic things for folks who are planning to be recorded in any context. You want to wear solid, uh, you know, patterns, not, you know, stripes. You know, you want like a, you know, this, there's a reason that everybody, all the presidential candidates and whatever sort of dress the same. And it's because it's good for TV. You wear a light blue shirt or you, you know, something like that. Why do people wear blazers so much or, you know, sport jackets on TV? It's because it gives you a good place to hide a microphone. Whereas if you're wearing something without a jacket, the microphone stands out and looks kind of weird. So, you know, that's a basic thing. If you are, you don't want to wear distracting jewelry. If you are seated when you are being videotaped, a quick little tip is that you actually want to sit on the tail of your jacket. And the reason you do that is so the jacket won't bunch up in a funny way. It hangs better if you are sitting on the tail of it. So, I mean, those are, those are some sort of literal ways that you can stand out and look good. But there's a, a plenitude of information, especially that provided by our pal Michael Port. So we have another listener question here from Amy Robles from Woman and Rich. She's been on the show a few times. Shout out to Amy. She wants to know what suggestions you would have for new business owners. Your top tip. Oh my gosh. Yeah. For new business owners, there's a lot of really important things that they should think about and consider. But uh, one strategy from Standout that I will mention is the niche strategy. You know, there's a lot of ways you can get known for things, but one of the easiest ways to do it early on is by getting known in a really specific discipline and then branching out from there. So if you can do that in the book Standout, I actually profile a guy who is an academic and he was an expert in Cambodia, which uh, when it comes to geopolitics is it's not China. Let's put it that way. Right. There's not a lot of people who are fighting to, you know, oh, they must hear about what's going on in Cambodia. But as a result of this, as a result of really becoming you know, a world expert in Cambodian politics and economics, this guy has been able, his name is Sopal Ear, to do amazing things. He gave a TED Talk and became a TED Fellow about criminal justice because his jumping off point was the Khmer Rouge Tribunal. He became an expert quoted in worldwide media about bird flu because he was an expert in South Asian livestock because he knew about Cambodian farming practices. He became an expert in foreign aid because he, his depth of knowledge was about Cambodia and how foreign aid had impacted it. So if you're a small business owner, you know, literally, you could have the smallest shop or an online business or whatever. It's very useful to think, okay, what is my initial niche that I'm going to get known for? And then how do I expand out strategically into adjacent areas? As long as you have that strategy, you can resist being pigeonholed. And you can build on that early success to expand your footprint. Wow, Dory. That was one of the better answers to that question. <laughs> that was good. Thanks. <laughs> I enjoyed that. 
All right, so the final listener question is from our amazing and good friend, Kim Trumbo. She's from generositypilosophy.com. I've also been a guest on the show. She wants to know if you have any tips to prep yourself to relax if you're nervous before public speaking. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, in a really broad sense, I can tell you how I came to become comfortable public speaking. And it's actually, you know, for me, it was like a ridiculous process. But I used to, I do a lot of business school teaching now, but I used to teach undergraduates for many years. And so uh, I used to live in Boston and I taught for Emerson College there. And they had this crazy thing. They're the only college that I've ever dealt with that, uh, that did this. But if it was going to be a four credit course, you had to spend four hours per week in the classroom. And the way they broke it up was that for a period of a couple of years, every Monday night, I would have to teach from 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. So my little joke was that I would get them when they were hungry and then they would leave when they were sleepy. And I had to keep them entertained in between. So literally, you know, for four hours a week, I would have to find a way to, uh, to just keep talking, just keep it moving forward. And so after that training, I realized that almost any time on the stage, if you pull me up and you need me for four hours or less, it's like, no problem. I've done that. So it's just repeat exposure is a big thing, which helps in a broad sense. But in the, in an, in the immediate sense, what can you do? Well, a big one, which many of you guys may be familiar with from her extremely popular TED Talk, Amy Cuddy from Harvard Business School, she talks about power poses that you can do. And she proposes that prior to, you know, a meeting or talk or whatever, you go into, you know, bathroom or a conference room or whatever, and you do essentially these stretches, these power poses. And if you hold them for two minutes, your testosterone levels will go up, your cortisol levels, your stress hormones will go down, and you will feel more confident thanks to these poses. And then that will carry over into uh, psychological benefits. So that's another really good one. The other thing is just making sure to control your breathing. Because, you know, when we get nervous, of course, our breathing gets shallower. And that becomes a, a sort of negative feedback loop where, you know, you're sort of seeing yourself panting, essentially, and you're like, Oh, God, Oh, God, and uh, you need to calm yourself down, you could start by focusing on your breath. And when your breath is calm, your body is able to be calmer. That's great. Wonderful. So uh, is it time to wrap up, Jared? Uh, I think we got a couple more questions. Okay. Yeah, let's let's not let Dory off the hot seat. <laughs> <just yet. laughs> All right. So Dory, who's doing something that interests you? Yeah, that's a good broad question. I like it. You know, my so I set three goals for myself this year. Specifically, I actually set three goals for myself for the first six months of the year because I uh, I figured that, that an annual goal, it's too long. I wanted to be able to focus and then refocus later on. But I've been almost laser-like on these three things this year. My three goals were, number one, try to launch my book, Stand Out, successfully so that it can become a bestseller. Number two, I want to double the size of my email list. I figured that would be a year-long goal, but I would revisit that in uh, the middle of the year. And then the third one was to get a girlfriend. <laughs> so uh, so anyway, I, uh, I'm three, as we're speaking in this moment, we're three weeks away from my book launch. So, you know, fingers crossed that will go well. I actually do have a new girlfriend, which is very exciting. But so the thing that I'm particularly interested in focused on right at the moment is this question of how to double my email list, because that is something that I think is really key. It, it just underpins almost everything when it comes to your ability to build an audience and to make money eventually online. And so I would say that in answer to that, I'm very interested in Noah Kagan and his company AppSumo, which has created a lot of really good, many of them free products 
for WordPress plugins and things like that that can help you capture more addresses and be more successful in growing your email list. That's great. Noah, I'm a big fan. They have some incredible deals. I'm, I'm definitely with you on that one, Dory. So what is the best place for listeners to find out maybe more about the book, to find out what you're up to? Um, what's the best place for them to connect with you online? Yeah, thank you so much. So my website is doryclark.com. That's D-O-R-I-E-C-L-A-R-K. And actually, one thing that I want to make sure to mention to your listeners is for people who are interested in this question of how to find your breakthrough idea and build a following around it, I actually created a 42-page free workbook, which is uh, an excerpt and an adaptation of Stand Out. It's called 139 Questions to Help You Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. And you know, for people who wonder how they can apply it themselves, this literally walks you through it step-by-step. That is available for free on my website for folks who sign up. And I am also on Twitter, at Dory Clark. So I look forward to, uh, to connecting with your listeners. And my books are Reinventing You and Stand Out. All right, Dory, do you have any final thoughts for the listeners? Well, one thing which I'll just mention, which I think is, is really one of my favorite strategies from my first book, Reinventing You, and you guys have mastered this fully, and I just want to share it with your audience is there's interesting research that was done, psychological research done by uh, Robert Cialdini of Arizona State University and Jeffrey Pfeffer from the Stanford Graduate School of Business. And they discovered two things. The first thing is something that we all know, which is that if you are perceived as a braggart, people are going to tune you out, they're not going to listen, you know, whatever, they'll move on. But the second part, which is interesting, is that if someone else is doing, you know, saying the same things about you. If someone else is bragging about you, people are going to listen and they're going to take it in and they're going to think you're amazing. And so that is really the power of the wingman strategy. And so we can leave that to chance. But what actually I will suggest to your listeners in terms of a life hack that can make their lives immediately better at the next conference, at the next meeting, at the next networking event is to find a like-minded colleague that you appreciate and value and trust. And you go to them and you say, let's make a deal. I will make a point of talking you up at this event if you do the same thing for me. And that takes a lot of the pressure off people, especially for those who are a little nervous about self-promotion, because you don't have to worry about self-promotion. You worry about promoting your friend and they're going to do that for you. And it helps both of you stand out more. Dory, that's we just really appreciate your time. I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed having dinner with you that night at the Heroic Public Speaking Conference. And I just walked away from that thinking, man, Dory is definitely someone I'm thrilled to be connected to. So it's exciting about your book. It's exciting about what you're doing. Just thank you for taking time to speak with us. Best wishes to you and all the things that you're working on. Gentlemen, thank you so much. meet you where you've been i could show you incredible things magic madness heaven sin saw you there and i thought oh my god look at that face you look like my next mistake love's a game wanna play move money suit and tie i could read you like a magazine and it is 
funny rules fly And I know you heard about me So yeah, let's be friends I'm dying to see how this one ends Grab your passport and my hand I can make the good guys bad for a weekend